And we are live. What is up, everybody? This is Nick from P2W Fantasy here on Thursday. I uh, got a few weeks until the NFL season. It feels like we are getting close. So it's nice to continue to go live here. And I have a great guest with me today uh, from Fantasy Points. Um, this podcast obviously is affiliated with the Fantasy Points Media Group branch of Fantasy Points, but I have one of the staff writers from Fantasy Points who works with uh, NFL, DFS, best ball, betting, and other content. Uh, Jake, thanks for joining me today. I, I was checking out uh, checking out some of your recent work. Uh, you had the QB positional target tendencies article that came out, which was great. Uh, I don't want to give too, too much away. I want people to actually go and check these things out. But you looked at uh, tendencies, not just to the wide receivers, whether they were slot or outside, but to the running back and tight end as well. That was a really good read. Um, you also wrote the XTD top touchdown regression candidates for this coming season, uh, which was interesting as well, because that's an actual real thing to kind of think forward on. And then uh, another one of your recent ones uh, I, I saw that you produced was the DraftKings best ball value. So it seems like you have a, a good mix of everything going on when you're writing for uh, for fantasy points there. So um, to start things off, can you tell everybody where they can find you on, on social media or where you produce your content and then a little bit about yourself, the work you do and and what's coming up for you. Yeah, for sure. So you can find me on Twitter at Jake Tribby. All my writing is exclusive to fantasypoints.com. So you'll see uh, everything over there. And when it comes to my background, I mean, I don't want to get into my, my life story too much, but uh, you know, I did an, in, I did an internship at PFF. I did some writing for Roto Grinders and uh, last December, you know, my writing hadn't really, taken off. I wasn't getting a ton of recognition. And last December, I ended up writing an article titled uh, Why Wide Receiver Cornerback Matchups Don't Matter for Fantasy Football. And that ended up blowing up on Twitter. And Scott Barrett ended up loving the article and retweeted it and reached out to me and said, hey, you know, I want you to work for me. And I was honestly just blown away because he's my he's my favorite all time fantasy writer. So the ability to get, you know, mentorship from him at Fantasy Points has been absolutely crucial to my work. And, you know, when you read QB positional target tendencies or the touchdown regression piece or really anything that I've written, um, you know, it's it's important to note that those articles wouldn't be half as good without Scott and the amazing team at at Fantasy Points. So, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to be on the pod and, and thrilled to be with Fantasy Points. Yeah, definitely a great group of guys. Um, the the work that's produced through Fantasy Points is outstanding. Had Scott on last week. He was uh, recommending you, obviously, and um, having Scott on, just talking about him him a little bit, he's, he's very much himself, but you, you know when you sit down and you're just kind of awed by someone's just natural smartness to the game, it, it, he, he's that guy. I mean, he, he puts in tons of work, and um, he just knows his stuff to a T, and I'm impressed every time I'm able to connect with him. Um, so definitely looking forward to connecting with you tonight as well, talking about some preseason stuff, a little bit of mailbag as well. Um, we spoke about fantasy points, so definitely have to drop the uh, the promo for that. So I have a promo code 21WIN10 for fantasypoints.com. I highly recommend it. Everything that I do personally from, uh, from a content producing basis, from a fan basis, from uh, a fantasy manager basis, all stems from fantasypoints.com. So definitely check out the website, fantasypoints.com slash subscribe. So if you are just joining us right now, uh, Jake from Fantasy Points joining the podcast today, talking a little bit about preseason and camp. Then we're going to jump into some mailbag questions from the community. We have a good mix of things to talk about tonight, which I really like about the mailbag. So we'll get to that in a second. 
fear to give. I feel what I can't forgive. I go all in this time. Yeah, I won't regret. I'll pick the best on trip. They don't understand. I play to win. Yeah, I play to win. I play to win. Yeah, yeah, I play to win. I play to win. Oh, I play to win. I play to win. Yeah, yeah, I play to win. I play to win. All right. So speaking of, of preseason, specifically rookie quarterbacks, Jake. So um, there's there's one playing again tonight. Uh, I haven't watched too, too much of, of what's going on. But the first preseason outings of Mac Jones, Trey Lance and Justin Fields. I want to talk about these three specifically because unlike Zach Wilson and, and Trevor Lawrence, it seems like these guys are competing for playing time and competing for an actual starting spot. So Mac Jones. 13 for 19 for 87 yards, a sack, and a 78.2 rating. Trey Lance, 5 for 14, 128 yards, one touchdown, four sacks, 93.7 for his rating. And then Justin Fields, my guy in the, the back wall here, 14 for 20, 142 yards, one touchdown, 106.7 rating. He also had five carries for 33 yards and a rushing touchdown. He did fumble the ball. So, Jake, my, my big question to you is with the performances of these three guys – have any of them really elevated their shots at starting sooner than later? And uh, if so, or maybe for you, who, who starts the soonest here? Yeah, so that's that's a really hard question to answer. Um, I, I think that the the best answer is that this is really going to be dependent on the guys in front of them. You know, how well do Jimmy Garoppolo, Andy Dalton, and Cam Newton play? And you know, whoever plays the worst to kick off the season the rookie quarterback behind them will probably be the guy to get the first opportunity. If I had to pick one as of right now, it would be Trey Lance. He's the only guy out of the three that I've seen get like any first team work so far in camp. Granted, it seems to be on a pretty, pretty limited basis. Um, so my gut says that Lance will start first. Plus Shanahan really knows what he's doing with rushing quarterbacks. And I would assume that he wants to get, you know, more into the more deeper into the playbook with, with Lance under center, you know, as soon as he, as soon as he realistically can. But yeah, I mean, you could with, with any, you know, one of these three guys, you could have a, what would it, what was it? 2017 Patrick Mahomes situation where, you know, Alex Smith just had the best season of his career, led the league in, uh, in quarterback rating and was, was up there in passing yards was actually throwing deep for once and Mahomes despite being a tremendous talent just didn't play at all that year so you know if Andy Dalton or Garoppolo or Newton has a career season then you know the the rookie behind him may not play and it's you know that's unlikely but it it's certainly possible yeah I think uh, everybody has this time ticker for all rookies for them to come in and you know make this major splash and explode onto the scene but um, it, it has like you've noted happened in the past where a guy's playing well and the team's focus is winning games and sometimes winning games doesn't mean putting in the most exciting player for the fans or, or for fantasy managers or anything like that. So definitely something to be, uh, to factor in when we're looking forward here. Um, Trey Lance, interesting. Uh, he was a guy that, uh, the 49ers made major, major moves for, uh, as we were talking about being, uh, bears fans before, Justin Fields kind of fell on our lap. We made the the, the trade to go up and, and grab him. I was nervous for a second. It was not going to be him. And they're going to make too. some sort of, <laughs> I was seeing flashes of, of previous years. But Trey Lance, they made these major, major moves to go and get him. Um, with him in his outing, he had that major uh, play where he had the deep touchdown throw, and that was a big flash. Did, did, the, did the lack of passing completions mean much to you, or did you look uh, kind of past that just from that uh, big flash that he had? 
Um, I mean, obviously those those high end plays are are awesome to see. I mean, I did one of the things that I noticed was for one, I think Trey Lance's intended receivers had four drops that game, which is pretty ridiculous. But even so, um, he's still out of the five rookie quarterbacks who played in preseason week one. He had the worst PFF grade, so it wasn't you know all great um, from Lance, but at the same time, like he said, I mean, he opens up the playbook so much and we've mm-hmm. seen some, some really horrendous games from Jimmy Garoppolo over the last few seasons. So yeah, he'd still, he'd still be my pick to, to start first, but I I'm, you know, he may, he may get off to a shaky start. We'll see. And the interesting too, about all three of these guys is I feel like the starter or the veteran in front of them is very, very different than the actual rookies. So I feel like you compare Mac Jones, what does he bring to the game? What does Cam Newton bring to the game? What does Trey Lance, Jimmy G, Justin Fields, and Andy Dalton? And it has to be interesting for these three organizations to really figure out, hey, when we get to this point, how do we change the playbook to fit this quarterback versus what we have? So it'll it'll be interesting, but definitely three guys to be excited about. Um, so through these other preseason games that we've seen so far in, in camp, just in general, um, a lot of talk comes out about highlight plays and this guy stepping up in camp and this guy had a massive preseason game. Maybe out of the recent games, has anybody else outside of uh, the rookie quarterbacks here stuck out to you like, hey, maybe maybe this guy's stock is, is rising a bit due to some of his recent performances. Could be camp or maybe in one of the recent games. Yeah, so I, I, have, a, I have a few guys here. The big one is obviously Elijah Moore. I mean, Scott Barrett has been uh, pumping up Elijah Moore since February, like Moore was Moore's crazy high in Scott's rookie model, and he, you know, he was an outstanding college receiver. Uh, Connor Hughes, who's the Jets beat writer uh, at the Athletic, tweeted on August fourth, and this this is very telling. I think he tweeted, "I think the craziest thing about Elijah Moore is every day I come here saying I'm going to focus on someone else, then he makes that impossible." Um, Pretty much all the reports from Elijah Moore have been that he's already the best player on the Jets team. Like he just seems to be an outstanding talent and his his ADP has has reflected that. So I'm I'm super, super excited for Elijah Moore. He was a guy that I was taking a ton back in, you know, May, June. I'm not taking him as much anymore because his ADP really mm-hmm. start really started to creep up. And I'm not sure he's as strong of a value as some of these other later round wide receivers. Um, but I, I love Elijah Moore. And then a couple other guys that that I had notes for was a big one is Philip Lindsay. So on August 10th, ESPN Sarah Bishop, who's uh, the uh, the Broncos beat or sorry, the Texans beat writer um, for ESPN, uh, said in an article that she believed that Philip Lindsay would be the starter and that uh, David Johnson would basically be relegated to a pass down only role. And in the first preseason game, we saw exactly that out of 10 possible first team snaps. Philip Lindsay played on eight. And uh, David Johnson only played on two, and both of those were third downs. Mm-hmm. So it looks like Lindsey's pretty clearly the starter here. He's still getting drafted after David Johnson in most of like the places I've seen, but that's obviously short-lived. That's not going to last mm-hmm. very long. Um, and I believe he's the cheapest starting running back that you can grab in every league. It's... It's hard to say that like he's got great upside because when you're playing an early down role on arguably the league's worst offense, like how how good is your upside really? But he's clearly a value relative to ADP, and most people didn't expect him to uh, to be the starting running back at all. I think most people were were giving that role to David Johnson, so he's a big one. Yep. And then the final guy who who's a guy that I've been pumping up all off season is Donald Parham. So. He is the he's technically the tight end, too. And I use quotations because Jared Cook is 34 and just really can't move like he used to. And Parham was an absolute monster in the XFL. 
Um, his player profiler is also outstanding. Like this, this guy's an amazing athlete. He's six yep. foot eight, like, and he, he moves like, like basically like a wide receiver. Like he runs routes so fluidly. Um, I had a, I had a pretty nice stat pull here that was, uh, so in the XFL's lone spring season, Parham had the third most receiving yards, second most targets and fifth most receptions of any player. And he was the only tight end in the XFL to rank in the top 20 of any of those statistics. Um, Some of the reports from camp on Parham have been, oh, he's going to play in the slot. He's going to play outside. He's one of Justin Mm -hmm. Herbert's favorite targets. Not to mention he's six foot eight and an amazing athlete, like I said. So that opens up the potential for a lot of end zone, red zone targets. Um, The concerning thing with him, right, is that he just might only play 40% of the snaps, in which case he's probably not going to run it. You know, he might not end up being top 15 in tight end routes. And that's going to make, you know, a top 12, top 18 tight end finish pretty tough for him. But at the same time, I'm very confident in the fact that he's the best receiving tight end on this team. And quite frankly, I don't think it's it's close. So um, I, I've been I've been really glad to hear all the great news come out of camp on Parham. And if you watch the XFL last year, this really wouldn't be much of a surprise at all. So I, I love me some Donald Parham. And I think people kind of forgot about him a little bit because it, it seemed like he was the sleeper right after the season. The season ended and he was one of the sleepers automa- uh, automatically, it seemed. But um, after they drafted Trey McKitty, you know, even if people weren't super high on Trey McKitty, they they drafted a, a rookie tight end. So then people started for, to forget. So I'm also kind of happy that you're hearing some positive positives about him because, again, he's a guy I was interested for Dynasty Leagues immediately at the end of the season thinking even with this veteran coming in that he was going to be the guy in the future. And you, you know, everybody loves what Justin Herbert has brought to the team and the passing volume and to have a guy who could, like you said, be a red zone threat could be big for fantasy. Um, I actually wrote down a few things on a teammate of his, uh, Josh Palmer. So uh, he, he caught five of six targets on 10 routes. This guy was the 77th overall pick from Tennessee He's on a team that has a few guys that are like guys, you know, obviously Keenan Allen is a stud. Mike Williams, a lot of people have some hopes for with him being a wide receiver with some upside, obviously. But then the Jalen Guyton and then Tyron Johnson, those two guys seem like dart throws. So if a guy's going to come in and get some early work and be efficient like he was, it wasn't like he got 12 targets or anything like that, but being five for six on only 10 routes, that 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 was interesting to me. So it's more of a, a deep league sort of look, but if he ends up getting connected with, with Herbert and, um, you know, if it's a three wide receiver set sort of system, I think he has some some value, maybe maybe in dynasty leagues. But we'll see how the targets start flying around there. So, not that we're both uh, just trying to talk about the Chargers here, but um, very interesting to say the least. And and, and Elijah Moore, uh, every podcast I think I've had, I, I've mentioned his name as well. I'm a massive fan. And every rookie draft, there was two guys. It was always trying to get Kyle Pitts, which everybody and their mother wants to get Kyle Pitts. But then it was also trying to get Elijah Moore. And what I've really liked about him is. With Crowder coming back, people were concerned like this guy's supposed to be a slot receiver and Crowder plays there. Where does that leave him? But if you look at a lot of the camp highlights, he's running these out routes and then he's going vertically for for some deep passes and he's just getting connected nonstop with Zach Wilson. I think they have a true connection and I'm really, really excited about uh, Elijah Moore as well this season. I'm hoping, I don't know too much, is is he back from that quad injury? Do you know anything about that? Um, so I, I don't know a ton about that. I know that he sat out the first preseason game from the quad, but I also know that uh fantasy points injury expert, uh, Edwin Porras, 
uh, noted that he really wasn't worried about the the quad. The quad injuries are are typically at least quad pulls are are typically uh, fairly straightforward coming back uh, or for players to come back from. So I, I don't think there's a ton to be worried about there. If he you know if he shows up on the injury report uh, prior to week one, like that first week of practice, then I'll start to get worried. But right now, I don't think it should affect his draft stock at all. Yeah, and just uh, I personally played a different sport um, in, in college and not at the NFL level, obviously, but I think anybody who's gone through a camp or a preseason, guys get banged up on a daily basis, it seems like, and kind of weighing out, even without being an injury expert, you know, th- this is probably a camp knock versus, hey, this is a major cam acre sort of injury. Um, there's that fine line between the two, but uh, good stuff there all around. Let's go into some mailback questions. So, Jake, what, what we do – during this time of year as we grab a handful of mailbag questions from the fantasy community. So they cover a bunch of topics. I I feel like it keeps the podcast fresh during a time where we don't have all of the football. We're starting to get more football, but it's nice to look at uh, a variety of topics and, and and hear what people want um, answered. So the, the first question here I have is from at Nate underscore FFL. He said, who was a player you refused to draft based on ADP? And I'll, I'll start us off and I'm not trying to be hot takey. This is a personal thing. This is a personal thing. And, um, this guy is a monster in the red zone. He has a huge target share. He has elite play. He probably could be the best in the position again this year, but I wrote down Devonte Adams. And the reason being is that, uh, according to fantasy pros, ADP, he's going at number seven. And I feel like personally, I would rather take a running back that might fall. You know, I still have faith in, in in Saquon. Zeke has been falling in some drafts. I feel like I want an elite running back. And then that second round for me personally, I'd be fine taking a guy like Calvin Ridley or something like that, because I know that a lot of the drafts we see in the first round, the running backs go like that. And although Devonte Adams brings everything you want for fantasy, uh, again, massive, you know, massive red zone target share. He has um, big playability, all these things. I, I just personally would like to take a good running back in that spot in the first round. Um, any, any thoughts on that? Are you in disagreement agreement? And then let me know who your pick is. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say that I'm as bearish on Adams as you, but I think that in general wide receivers are starting to get to the point where they're, they're kind of overvalued this year. I, I know. So Scott, uh, Scott Barrett back in the spring, like March, uh, released his his best ball primer, which for one I thought was outstanding, and it and he really talked, he harped a lot on like how okay, like rounds you know rounds two, three, and four, you, you really want to focus on wide receiver, and and it seems like the industry may have overreacted to that advice a little bit over the past few months. I, I've seen a lot of analysts kind of you know regurgitating the same you know the same thing that Scott harped on in the spring, and wide receivers in general, I think right now in those early rounds of drafts are just a little overvalued. And we know that running back is the most valuable position in fantasy football, and it's not close. And if you could grab a guy like, you know, Antonio Gibson or whatever, or even Austin Eckler, like with that seventh overall pick, who like genuinely has a chance to be the overall RB2, RB3, that's probably going to be more valuable for your team than, you know, having the overall wide receiver one, because the gap between, you know, Adams and the wide receiver two might only be a point, a point and a half per game. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't necessarily think drafting Adams is the, is the path to a league championship in the first round. Yeah, I think we're on the same same kind of wave there then with, with that. And, and I don't think either one of us are saying fade uh, Devontae Adams or we don't find him valuable. I think it just comes down to 
at this point of the draft, maybe that wouldn't be my strategy. So um, definitely agree there. Uh, who's your guy that comes to mind as a guy you are avoiding due to the current ADP? Yeah. So my guy, and like, I don't want to, I don't want to knock this player's talent, but my guy is definitely Jonathan Taylor. So he's going at running back seven right now, which in PPR, I just think is, is absolutely ridiculous. Ridiculous. He's, he's not going to have much receiving involvement at all uh, because Naheem Hines is on the team. Hines was the highest graded uh, receiving running back last year by pro football focus. And uh, a couple months ago in Indianapolis uh, beat writer, I forget if it was in a tweet or an article basically said like, okay, I think the touches distribution is going to be like 10% Hines, mostly receiving work, obviously for him, 25% Marlon Mack. And then, you know, roughly 60, 65% for Jonathan Taylor. That's not the recipe to a top 12 running back finish at all. And it's going to be all rushing work too. Um, not to mention he's very, very game script dependent and, the Colts might be worse than last year. They could be significantly worse than last year if Carson Wentz misses a lot of time or is just really bad like we saw in 2020. So I'm way down on Jonathan Taylor. I'd take him like RB12, RB13, but I'm definitely not taking him in the top 10. There's there's so many guys, Antonio Gibson, Joe Mixon, Austin Eckler. I could go on and on, but there are so many, uh, so many guys, so many running backs that I think have, have legitimate league winning upside. And I just don't really see that with Taylor. He'd need incredible efficiency to you know make a top three running back finish this year i think and and i think the the rb1 on a team that you draft you don't want to have and i'm i'm not against jonathan taylor and i'm probably not maybe as low as you are but i i do agree with some of the points here that if a guy is getting touches taken away by not one but two guys and then you have these question marks on how the role is going to pan out I, I would be more comfortable sometimes drafting a guy like maybe Austin Eckler, who you've mentioned before, that you know is going to get a high passing volume. The other running backs in the system have big question marks about them. Nobody really stands out as a guy that's going to take away tons and tons of volume. They got a good offensive line. I mean, the Colts do as well. But um, I, I think you want to be more comfortable in a draft leaving the first round with a guy – you don't have so many questions about. So even though I do like Jonathan Taylor, I, I think that is a good point for drafting is if you are juggling a few guys, if there's less question marks and you see more of an opportunity for volume, I'd probably be more uh, comfortable doing that. So, um, so you, you, you said you probably have him closer to 12 or outside of your 12 than if you had to throw out rankings right now. Yeah, yeah, I I would not take him in the first round. Like what I look for in a in a first round running back is is a guy who's going to be relevant for fantasy, like whether or not his team is winning or losing. Um, and a guy, you know, a guy like Joe Mixon, you know, with Gio Bernard gone, he's going to catch a lot of passes when the Bengals are losing games, and he's going to get a lot of carries when the Bengals are winning. Jonathan Taylor's only going to get carries when the Colts are winning, and he's probably not even going to be on the field when they're losing because he can't catch passes. So I, I, I mean, I think you're you're setting yourself up for just really bad Jonathan Taylor performances when the Colts perform poorly as a team, and you know they're. They might go 10 and seven. They might go seven and 10. They might be worse than that. They might be better. I, I don't know, but I, I, I wouldn't want to, I, those really game script sensitive backs. I think I'm much more comfortable with as my RB two and round two. I, I don't really view. And I'm, uh, you know, for the same reason, I'm kind of off on Nick Chubb as well. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I don't like running backs who don't catch passes in PPR. It's 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 almost like the cheat code, right? I mean, if you're playing in, in a PPR league, you, you want those guys. You want those guys. And especially if they are getting some sort of consistency 
with the passing. Uh, we'll, we'll shift over to the next question, and we actually touched on it earlier on the show already. So uh, it has to do with Houston. It's uh, from at drop the mic FF. He asked simply how to handle Houston's backfield, who will end up as the one. So I have a few things to throw out there before I, I get your um, answer. I think you already kind of answered this, but maybe you have a little bit more insight on some details here. But the depth chart that I saw today, I believe it was just on ESPN, had Lindsey as the one, Mark Ingram is two, and then David Johnson is three. The ADP shows for Fantasy Pros running backs, uh, Philip Lindsay, RB49, Mark Ingram, RB59, and then David Johnson, RB36. So like you noted before, David Johnson's still going the highest. It was interesting with David Johnson this, this past season, weeks 15, 16, and 17, he, he looked good. Uh, he got a ton of volume, uh, 24.3, 28.9, and 21 fantasy points. If, if we marked what he would have been for those three weeks, uh, 17's obviously outside of, of championship weeks for most leagues. But if we counted those three weeks, he would have been the RB4. Uh, Mark Ingram coming off of a season where he pretty much lost his job to two other guys. And then Philip Lindsay, like you said earlier, seems like he's pushed both of those guys aside. So to g- give us the lowdown here, you mentioned Philip Lindsay earlier. Would, would that be the guy that you would want to draft or how, how do you approach this if you're getting into the, the drafting season now? Yeah, this this obviously isn't a backfield that I'm, you know, bending over to target. Um, but it, it might even my leaning pick, over, even like kind of kind of. Yeah, kinda yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm really yeah, I'm really not even getting close to targeting them unless they fall into my lap. Um, but Lindsay, Lindsay would be my pick, like I said, sort of based on those on the beat reports and based on preseason usage. He seems pretty clearly as the number one um, Ingram as the number two would be something that that I'm very doubtful of he just didn't look great last year and that was in Baltimore and Baltimore you know they they all their running backs are super efficient because they have Lamar Jackson playing there but Ingram had one of the worst seasons of his career regardless and yeah like you said ended up losing his job to the Gus bus and uh, and Dobbins so honestly like I my money would be on both Rex Burkhead and David Johnson seeing more touches than Mark Ingram this year. My, my concern, and I love Ingram as a, as a player. Like his 2009 Heisman season at Alabama was like mm-hmm. so so awesome for me to watch as a kid. Like I just remember loving him as a runner so much. But um, I honestly like he he's a borderline cut candidate. I think like his career's kind of you know he's in like his 11th or 12th season. His career's really starting to wind down. So I'd go, I, I think Lindsay's going to be the early down guy. David Johnson will get most of the pass game work, which, you know, maybe may end up being pretty valuable on a team that might only win two or three games. Um, and then I'd maybe. expect Rex Burkhead to come in and spell uh, both of those guys when they need it. And Ingram's probably just there for depth, you know, veteran presence. I, I'm not sure Ingram's really going to play much. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting to see them grab these running backs. It was as if they were trying to hoard running backs, like the guy in your league that thinks they're hoarding a position, but they're really not. At the end of the day, um, I was I was interested for a bit with David Johnson just because I, I felt he had the best pass catching resume out of these three guys, and he can bring that to the team. But at the same time, if if he's only getting in, you know, sporadically for those plays, I know they're going to be chasing obviously almost every single game. But if his if his ADP is that much farther away from Philip Lindsay, then maybe maybe I I sway towards Lindsay. I, I know we don't have to play everything for where guys are getting drafted, and when you get into your actual draft, what happens versus what 
fantasy pros or Yahoo or CBS says is going to happen. Never really does. But, um, I, if David Johnson falls into my lap, I, I, I feel like I'm slightly interested just in case he does have a season where he catches X amount of balls that make him somewhat of a flex, but I'm with you and I'm, I'm really avoiding this, this trio of running backs. Um, would you, would you say that this is a running back system that you are avoiding the most or does, does somebody else come to mind for another team that is, is a big X? No, I'm not doing this. It's, it's hard to think of a backfield that's going to be as bad and on as bad of a team as Houston's. I know. So the only one that really comes to mind would be the Jets, but it seems like, and, and I say that mostly just because the Jets, it's, it's really hard to decipher who's yeah. going to be the starter right now. Like reports out of camp, we're like, oh, Michael Carter's running with the ones. It's going to be him. Obviously, ADP says it's going to be Michael Carter. Carter was great in college. Like there's a pretty solid chance he's the best running back on the team. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Ty Johnson got the majority of reps in the first preseason game. Apparently, Tevin Coleman, now that he's healthy, is getting reps with the ones in training camp. So that's that's the other backfield that I'm very, very hesitant to draft. Um, but you know, if I had to pick one guy from each, it would be, it would be Lindsay from Houston and it would be, it would be Michael Carter from, from New York. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not excited to get guys from either team really. Yeah. Especially if it's, if we're strictly talking redraft right now, you are really taking chances. It's easy to say, you know, in a dynasty league, I'll, I'll take Michael Carter over Tevin Coleman and Ty Johnson. But if we're strictly talking about redraft, which is pretty much that season right now, it, it it gets tough because you you are taking that uh, draft spot out of somebody you could have taken that could have benefited you when when somebody doesn't get the touches you want. So uh, good good points all around there. Um, ne- next one comes from at Dalton Guru FF. He says, "Give gimme players you draft and redraft, but not in Dynasty, and vice versa." So. Maybe we can both do one example each. So we can start with uh, a player that you draft and redraft, but you wouldn't in Dynasty. One one guy I, I wrote down, and it depends where he would go. I wouldn't be reaching for this guy, but if I can get him late in drafts, he can have some sort of upside. I wrote down a- Antonio Brown, obviously 33 years old, and I'm not a big like ageist guy. Like I, I'll never take this guy in Dynasty. I'm not saying that, but he's going to be a – unrestricted free agent in 2022 and what that means next year for what his role is going to be and where it's going to be. And if he's going to have a paycheck somewhere, I, I don't know, but I, I do know with, with uh, Godwin and Evans, he saw some games where he had like eight and 13. I think the last game he had 14 targets. I'm not sure if everybody was completely healthy in those games, but he was, he was utilized in creative ways. He, a lot of screens, but um, for a guy who, had like the last week of the season, 36.8 fantasy points, two touchdowns. He does have the upside on a good offense. So I wouldn't mind taking him in redraft if it's late and and it becomes one of those steal situations where people are avoiding him because he's the wide receiver three. But um, if it kind of falls into your lap and you can see some upside, uh, we talked about it last week in the podcast, drafting for upside for your bench. I don't mind taking him, but in a dynasty league, him being a free agent next season, and him being 33 and really not knowing what the future holds, I, I have no interest. So that's that's one of my guys for redraft, but not dynasty. Um, any thoughts on that? And then let me know who your guy would be in that situation. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think Antonio Brown's an, an excellent choice for for redraft. I mean, near the end of the season, I, I don't have the exact numbers with me, but he was essentially a wide receiver one. Uh, uh, 
down the, you know, the final stretch of the season. He was, he is, appears to be, you know, building a pretty good rapport with Brady, but you know, he's also like kind of an insane person and he, you know, there's a non-zero <laughs> chance that he could just somehow get suspended for the entire season or sure. get cut from the Buccaneers. Like it's, it's a risky play, but the upside is obviously absurd because he's Antonio Brown. So yeah, I totally agree. Like I would not want him on my dynasty team, but I really like him as like what, like an eighth round pick. In, oh yeah. In Late, draft. Yeah. The, the upside there is, is excellent. Granted, you know, there's a lot of mouths to feed in that offense, but Brown is arguably the most talented receiver on the team. So my guy, uh, my guy for redraft that I would not take in dynasty is Raheem Mostert. So it's honestly kind of shocking to me that Trey Sermon is going ahead of of Mostert pretty much everywhere that I've looked. Um, every single report from camp is that Mostert is the starter, and in my opinion, both Mostert and Sermon have comparable ceilings, but Sermon's floor is is far lower. Um, you know, like the ceiling is about 60% of San Francisco's touches and snaps. And that's really important because they're one of the most efficient rushing attacks in the league. Uh, the floor for Mostert is is higher than Sermon because once uh, once Jeff Wilson Jr. comes back from injury, he's way more likely to take snaps away from Sermon than Mostert, not to mention Sermon's getting paid more. Um, he's he's the incumbent. So it's it's a downhill battle to, you know, maintain the starting position for Mostert, but it's an uphill one. Um, for Sermon. So yeah, I, I like, I like Mostert and in, in redraft quite a bit, but he's 28, you know, obviously they just drafted Sermon. Uh, he's going to be a free agent after this year. So I, I don't, I don't know what Mostert's future holds. He could be out of the league in two or three seasons. So yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want him on my dynasty team. Yeah. And with his, with his age, um, obviously if a team is in some desperate need due to an injury, when he becomes a free agent, he might have a role, but Dynasty wise, yeah, you're 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 really taking a shot at him having any sort of relevance after he leaves the 49ers. And I think this season a lot of eyes are on Trey Sermon in, in dynasty leagues and even in redraft leagues with him going ahead of him. But I definitely see a world where Raheem Mostert is healthy and they're pounding the rock with, with him and they're overutilizing him because Trey Sermon young guy has also had a bit of an injury history in the past. So why, why force the rock in his hands when Raheem Mostert when healthy does, does some good things. I, I think next gen stats, I don't have it in front of me either, but has had him making some of the fastest plays when he's healthy throughout the year. And, and he does have that explosiveness uh, to him. So um, is he, is he a, uh, is he a guy Trey Sermon on the, on the other hand, do you have any interest in for, for dynasty? Um, I, I don't know how that, how high that interest goes. I, I know we're speaking redraft over dynasty, but just curious on any thoughts on Sermon. Yeah, no, I, I, I love Sermon for dynasty. I, I he's an outstanding fit for the system. Like honestly, what really convinced me on Sermon, uh, a lot of scouts were, were kind of iffy on him and he ended up falling to, I think round three, um, but it, what really convinced me was Wes Huber's uh, dynasty draft profile of Trey Sermon was just absolutely glowing. And if you're familiar with Wes Huber's work at all, like he he really is a football genius. Like he he knows what he's talking about. He knows how to scout players. And when he when he is a glowing review of a player, like that matters a lot to me. And and I think that he noted that you know there there are certain there are a few schemes that that Sermon would he thought would really perform well in. And I believe San Francisco was one of the ones that he listed. So it seems mm -hmm. like a match made in heaven for Sermon, but I'm skeptical that he's going to be the uh, San Francisco's RB1 this year. I, I'm just not sure it's going to happen. But for Dynasty, like he could definitely be their lead back in two or three years. And, you know, being the lead back for the 49ers means you're locked into averaging over oh, yeah. five yards per carry no matter what. So, 
Yeah, I was I was disappointed to see uh, Jeff Wilson pop up in that injury report because the things that guy did last year, I, I actually had a lot of optimism of him. Even I mean, maybe before the Trey Sermon draft, but still, I thought uh, what he was doing with touches in the red zone and just having these big games, I, I was excited about him. But um, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't seem super super necessary that it has to be right now for Trey Sermon either. And I think a lot of people want that to happen, but it doesn't, of course, for fantasy always mean that that's going to happen. Um, we, we can switch gears. So let's talk about a guy, same question that we would rather have in dynasty than in redraft. And I would, I might get some pushback on him because for a while he was one of the, uh, the darlings of fantasy. And I, I think he could be good in the future. And he did some nice things his rookie season, but, um, this guy had the fifth most snaps for rookie wide receivers this past season. The yards per reception were good. The A dot or average depth of target was very good as well. Um, he had four games above 15 fantasy points, but there's two other guys beyond the wide receiver one that might have some volume in this system. And the guy I'm talking about is Gabriel Davis. I'm not as high as other people are this year for him. Uh, I don't think Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders are necessarily like world beaters, but I think that they are there for a reason. I think they're going to have involvement on the team. And I, I know he did some great things this, this past season versus what was expected of him. Stefan Diggs, we can count on having one of the most targets in the entire NFL next season. But I think you got a mix of three guys that are going to find use from Josh Allen on the field, especially if they are pass heavy like they were last year. So Gabriel Davis, I think he's good. I think he's a good dynasty asset. I'm not reaching at all, though, in a redraft this year to to grab him. Um, any any thoughts on uh, on that? Yeah, for sure. I I completely agree with that. I mean, they're like I I don't think you can name a wide receiver four who's been fantasy relevant like pretty much ever. Obviously, Buffalo runs a ton of four wide receiver sets, and so you know their number four wide receiver is going to be way more valuable than New England's fourth wide receiver. But you know, Gabriel Davis's target ceiling, as long as Sanders uh, or Beasley, you know, stay healthy, his target ceiling is probably like fifty or sixty. It's not very good. Like. I, I most, especially in those later rounds, like I'm really drafting for upside and mm -hmm. I don't see a ton of upside this year with Davis. He, he seems like an awfully good player, but just yeah. based on their roster and the way the depth chart's going to shake out, you know, all reports are that Manny Sanders is the number three and we know Cole Beasley and Diggs are kind of entrenched as the one and two. So I, I don't see a ton of upside for Davis this year, but yeah, I definitely like him for dynasty. Who is your guy in the same note then for, for this flip? So uh, you would like them in Dynasty, but not super interested in them for redraft purposes. Yeah, so I already actually talked about this guy, but my pick would be Donald Parham. And it's mostly because of, like I said, like I, I just I can't guarantee that he's going to play more than 40% of the tight end snaps for the Chargers. But at the same time, like, Jared Cook is going to be out of the league within two seasons. I'm very confident in that. Trey McKitty is mostly going to be used as a blocker, like based on what the Chargers mm -hmm. coaches have said. They they don't seem super thrilled with his receiving ability. It doesn't even seem like that's why they drafted him. So I, I'm I, I think Parham's going to have an outstanding career. He's only 24. He's entering his third uh, third season of professional football. Um, you know, got that got that extra season in with the XFL. So yeah, and he he's an outstanding athlete. Like I I, I think his long term outlook is is as good as pretty much any tight end outside of, you know, the big four, Kelsey Waller, uh, Kittle and Pitts. Like I, I have a hard time thinking of a guy with a better long-term outlook than Parham. Like I'm just a huge believer in his talent. 
And if you are listening to this uh, podcast live or iTunes, Spotify, there's a good chance if you like what you're hearing from Jake that he's free right now in, in Dynasty Leagues. Unless it's like a super, super deep league, he, he's likely free. Um, if you were to look at his roster percentage, especially with Jared Cook going there, I, I guarantee you it's uh, it's low. So listening to things like this, obviously you don't always have to pick up what's recommended, but if you like what is being told, then definitely take a, a look at your Dynasty League. And I, I do like those points as well. Um, next one on the list here for the mailbag. We can keep this kind of kind of short. It's a keep keep cut trade. So at Sack X Sports asks, keep cut or trade. Use these three: J.K. Dobbins, Javante Williams, and DeAndre Swift in Dynasty. So I will start with this, and I'll keep it super short. Uh, I'd rather hear Jake's analysis uh, o- over my own here as, as he's a great guest. But I'm keeping DeAndre Swift because I'm one of the biggest DeAndre Swift truthers out there. I, I, I know the team is not very good, and some people fear Jamal Williams for reasons they didn't fear for him with uh, Aaron Jones. But I, I, I love the opportunity with him to get involved with the passing game with not a ton of pass catchers. And I think he has that ability. I loved him as an NFL prospect in general. I think the offensive line is good. He was highly efficient with minimal touches this past season. So big DeAndre Swift guy. So I'm keeping him. I'm going to trade Javante because I feel like Dynasty loves rookies, right? And and I think he's going to be successful. But I think that if I needed to trade either him or Dobbins, I can get a good return because a lot of people love the unknown and they love the fresh new rookie. So I've seen a lot of ups and downs for Dobbins. So if I'm just strictly looking at what can I get the most for, I think Dobbins might be maybe he's probably ranked higher in in, in dynasty uh, rankings for different sites than Javante Williams. Maybe he's not, but I feel like I always hear a back and forth with J.K. Dobbins. People either really like him this coming season or they don't like him. So knowing that, I think I'd have a better trade value for Javante. So that's that's kind of my thought process for for that. If I had all three on my my dynasty team, uh, Jake could be completely different for you. But what, what's your thoughts on on these three for keep trade and cut? Yeah, so I, I completely agree with the cut. Like my my issue with uh, J.K. Dobbins, who was uh, he was the guy I had for for the cut as well. Um, my my issue with him is that there's just going to be no receiving involvement. I know some of the offseason reports have said, oh, we're gonna you know we're gonna try to get the running backs more involved in the pass game. Mm-hmm. The problem with that, and I, I note this in uh, the QB positional target tendencies article I did, is that rushing quarterbacks don't throw to their running backs like basically at all. And Lamar Jackson is as guilty as anyone. I believe he had a 12.9% running back target rate, which was tied with Jared Goff for the lowest over the last three years. Like Dobbins just isn't going to get much action. If this was a standard league that we were talking about, then, Mm -hmm. you know, we'd be having a different conversation, but because it's half PPR, I I unfortunately had to make Dobbins the cut. Um, My keep was Javonta Williams, just because I'm a huge believer in his talent. And Denver mm-hmm. traded a, a good amount to get up to, I think, pick 36. And they were able. they were fist pump. Like I remember Vic Fangio was literally like fist pumping. He was so excited. He was like Jersey Shore. He was just like going <laughs> after getting after, getting after it. Yeah. 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 They they it seems to me like they clearly want Javanta to be their their bell cow sooner rather than later. And I mean, like his his college stats are completely ridiculous. He uh he broke PFS. 
uh, PFF College's record for uh, uh, force missed tackles per attempt, which is, uh, you know, an outstanding efficiency indicator, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, and yeah, I think like maybe he's stuck in a committee with Gordon this year. But in year two, year three, he's going to be Denver's bell cow. Like they, they, they didn't give up so much draft capital to not give him the ball. And uh, Scott, uh, Scott Barrett noted in his rookie model that despite not being very involved in the pass game uh, in college at North Carolina, Javonta Williams is, is pretty underrated as a pass catching talent. And like, is he's no AJ Dillon. Like he's definitely going to be involved in that regard and, and mm-hmm. certainly has like full on bell cow potential. So he, he's my favorite of the three. And then the guy I would trade would be, deandre swift so his his pass game role is very secure and i'm a huge fan of his talent um but yeah i i can't have him as high as javanta because you know there's the whole jamal williams thing um not to mention he's kind of like the reverse of you got to think swift will be kind of the reverse of jonathan taylor in terms of like game script dependency where you know not that the lions are going to win many games this year but if they do you know if they do end up dominating in some games it just might be the jamal williams show like swift might not see the field at all um so yeah, I think I think in half PPR, like Swift has stronger value than Dobbins, and um, a lot of people, like especially on fantasy Twitter, are just absolutely in love with Swift's talent, which which I understand. But you know, some of them may be getting a little aggressive, um, which is why you could probably get you know a pretty good trade deal for him. There you go, there you go. So I, I like the the points there, not just evaluating the player always, but also thinking forward about how guys are valued in dynasty leagues and your redraft or home leagues. I think that's important too, because again, we can think about something. I've talked about this in the past before. We can be strong on one guy, but sometimes take another guy in a draft because the value is is different and we can get a higher return for them later. So uh, definitely factors there. We're going to skip around here. Um, At Norton0723 asks, what one player, any position have you drafted most this year so far? And why are you so high on said player? So Jake, we'll go right back to you. Who's a guy you've been taking a lot this year? It could either be just in dynasty startups or redraft uh, leagues with your buddies, or it can be rookie drafts, uh, whatever you want to go into here. Yeah. So most of what I play is best ball, but this, I mean, this is true for, for really every league type. The guy that I'm taking the most by far is Jacoby Myers. And the reason for that is that he's going to be the next slot man in new England. So after uh, Julian Edelman went down in week seven last year with an injury, Myers went from 6.8 slot snaps a game to 31.7, which is eerily similar to the 36.7 Edelman has averaged over the last two seasons. And that's really important to note because the slot role in New England has essentially been a PPR cheat code for a number of years. So from 2009 to 2019, which is a huge sample, like how often do we get 12-year samples in fantasy football? Um, Wes Welker, Danny Amendola, and Julian Edelman averaged 16.4 fantasy points a game in their respective time as the starting slot. That would have been good enough for wide receiver 14 last year. Um, Jacoby Myers himself is a really good player. Last year, he was he had the 11th best yards per out run and 27th best uh, PFF receiving grade out of 108 qualifiers. Um, and once he became the starting slot in week eight, he averaged 13.1 fantasy points a game, which would have been good for wide receiver 37 last year. And yet, you know, he's being drafted at like wide receiver 65. He's my pick to lead New England in targets. Um, I think he's a tremendously underrated talent in general. And yeah, he's just, he's, he's going to get the ball a lot. I'm with, with Cam Newton as the starting quarterback. I, I don't love Myers as much, but I still think he's a, he's a clear value, even if Cam were to start all year. But I mean, once Mac Jones comes in, like 
that's going to be huge for Myers. And that's when like Myers probably goes from like, you know, wide receiver, you know, low end wide receiver three, high end wide receiver four to a very legit wide receiver two. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely love Jacoby Myers this year. And it's interesting to see that he had a lot of good weeks this past season. I mean, I think after week seven, he had a lot of involvement. He had some bigger games, 28.9 fantasy points, uh, a 15.8 fantasy point week later down the road, 18.26. These are all good flex play weeks. He didn't score a touchdown. So let's say the, the quarterback play increases right for new England and there's better opportunities for guys to actually score this season with, Mac Jones, I would assume, um, at some point, uh, that can increase the guy's fantasy value. And to see him dropping off so, so much when the opportunity for volume is still there and he can compete for it. I know Nelson Aguilar is there. They had the two tight end to the the team as well. Um, if they're both healthy, we'll both play a lot. But again, opportunity for volume is key. And then increased opportunity for touchdowns with better quarterback play is another thing that gets not talked about enough sometimes with a guy like this who didn't score at all, but we see it with some other guys across the league that had a small touchdown category that can get a, get a bump this, this, this coming season. So um, I haven't been as high, but the, the more I hear people like, like you and, and some other people that I respect on fantasy Twitter actually talk about Jacoby Myers, the more I see the opportunity kind of clear, because I think a lot of us got, um, kind of two into the, this two tight end set idea and kind of forgot about some of the other guys who have done good things in the system before. And it's still McDaniels and it's still Bill Belichick. So um, they seen what he can do and it'll be interesting for sure. Uh, I, I looked at a guy in rookie drafts strictly for this. And I want to hear your, your opinion on this guy, because obviously we all love, love rookies and we love um, opportunity, but uh Nico Collins being a 6'4", 215 wide receiver who could play out wide from uh, opposite of Brandon Cooks. Let's say Anthony Miller might be in a slot. I I don't know if he's going to pick up his, his career after leaving Chicago, but um, this is a guy who's got a really nice build, uh, good speed, good hands. The, the route running and the separation is kind of iffy right now, but if you look at a guy who has the opportunity to be a red zone threat or make some bigger plays because of his size. I, I think he's got a good opportunity and he was going in the third round of rookie drafts. Um, do you see him at all being relevant for redraft though this year? Um, yeah, I, I do think I see Nico Collins being relevant for redraft. Certainly not, you know, I, I wouldn't take him in, you know, in the top 10 rounds, but like as a, as a late round flyer, I like him. Brandon Cooks is obviously going to lead the team in targets, but after that, I mean, it's, it's wide open. Like this is not a very good, you know, group of receivers. You got Kiki Cutie and uh, Anthony Miller fighting over the slot job. So Nico Collins should start. He should play at least 60, 70% of the snaps. Houston's going to have to throw a lot because they're going to be awful. Their defense is yes. terrible. You know, the big question is obviously quarterback play, uh, you know, forgetting about the Deshaun Watson situation. If we just assume that it's Tyrod Taylor and uh, Davis Mills out there, you know, how many accurate passes is Nico Collins really going to get? That's that's tough. But at the same time, I mean, the the volume's undeniable. Like if you if you just look at targets, you know, uh, uh, 
you know, targets based on like ADP or whatever, like Collins is probably one of the best values you can find. And, you know, same deal for, for cooks too, but yeah, I'm just, I'm really worried about the offensive efficiency there. So that would be my only pushback on Collins. Yeah. Cooks is a guy I've uh, talked about a lot this off season and his ADP is like 30 something right now. And I'm not going to say he's going to be top 10 or top 15, but a guy who's done it for so many seasons being fantasy relevant on different teams. Obviously this will be his worst quarterback situation, but he might be the cheapest wide receiver one in fantasy. I, I don't know. I've been talking about cooks a, a bit. Um, we'll move on to, we got one more and then we'll, we'll end up wrapping the show up. But this is, this is interesting too, because my, my wife was uh, drafting yesterday in a league with some other women from fantasy. She's not in fantasy, but, I'm friends with some of them. So uh, she was drafting and she was showing me some of the people available. And I'll, I swear in case anybody's listening, I never tell her who to pick. I just start like talking about some guys and she goes from there. She'll tell me half the time that she she doesn't like the guy that I suggest. So it is what it is. But one of the guys available, she was asking like, what, what about Michael Thomas? He was good before, right? Like what's, why is he still on the board? And it's a redraft league she's drafting in. So this is a good question and something that other people, you know, in their home leagues or in their redraft leagues that are coming up might be thinking about as well. So at Joshua, Joshua's Woodshop, what are your thoughts on Michael Thomas? Draft him and leave him on the bench till his return or leave him alone. So Michael Thomas in June, he had the ankle surgery, may or may not be back until maybe November, December. I think there's been some back and forths with that timeline. Uh, they had a delayed surgery and it's, it's, it's a strange situation now. And, and then he recently had some like cryptic tweets that we don't know what's going on. There were some trade rumors involved. I feel like some of the guys, last time I looked, maybe I'm off on this, but some of the guys like Claypool and Higgins and Jerry Judy are being drafted around him right now, but we're not entirely sure what his return's going to, uh, when his return's going to be and what it's even going to look like. What's, what, what's your thoughts on, on drafting Michael Thomas? Yeah. So I'm at, I, I believe I checked ESPN ADP this morning and he was wide receiver 34. That's far too rich for me. I I'm not, you know, I'm not passing up on the opportunity to draft chase Claypool to take Michael Thomas, but at the same time, I mean, the situation has gone so far South that like, I think a lot of people are starting to think now like, Oh wow, there's, there's a real chance that Thomas won't play a single game for the saints this year. And we'll straight up put up you know, 17 zeros. And if that starts to become sort of the prevailing thought in the fantasy community, then Michael Thomas may be available in those last, you know, two, three rounds. And at Mm -hmm. that point, I really start to like him because his upside is, is Michael Thomas. And, um, I've, I've written about this a little before, but like, even with Taysom Hill at quarterback last year, he was still like, you know, low end wide receiver one, high end wide receiver two. He's played with a bunch of different quarterbacks. Like he's fairly agnostic to QB play. They just, they, they get him a lot of targets no matter who's under center. Um, so he's, he's a guy that I would absolutely love to take with like one of my last picks because the upside is, is absurd there. Um, but yeah, at wide receiver 34, like, I I'm I think I have to lay off the situation just does not look good and you know if I had to if if I had to bet money on it I'd say like greater than 50% chance that he doesn't play a single game for the Saints this year which is not too good of a chance but yeah I'm I am with you on because all my notes said like I wrote down some of those example guys like I'm taking these guys it's a safer situation some of these guys have some nice upside as is but like you are also noting if he falls all the way down in your draft 
think about a redraft league. Week six is the first bye week. I had looked it up here. Week six is the first bye week. You're probably not using a lot of your bench players until then. So you're going five weeks as is without utilizing most of your bench and redraft leagues anyway. So if he does fall and you can just stash him, you're stashing most of your bench anyways, unless there's an injury or somebody is totally underperforming. So I don't hate keeping and stashing him again, if it makes sense and you're not like biting the bullet on, on passing on guys that you can actually have some good value with. So I think again, very dependent on where he falls in your draft. If you're getting towards the later rounds and you can stash him, you're going to stash, like I just said, multiple guys anyways, but if he is around that current ADP or even, even a little bit further away, even if he's wide receiver 38 or 39 or 40, I'd be, I'd be hesitant. So again, very dependent on your league and no league is the same despite the the ADP numbers that that do come out often. So I think we're pretty much on the same page right there. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll end up wrapping things up, Jake. We're getting close to an hour anyways. Uh, great, great show. Uh, good, diverse topics here talking about Dynasty Redraft, recent news, a little bit of everything, which I like a lot. So thank you again for your time, man. Uh, can you close out and let us know? One, again, where we can find your work or you on social media, anything there. And then what's what's coming up? We talked a little bit about your work. So let us know what's coming up now. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Jake Tribby and all my writing is uh, over at fantasypoints.com. And um, so over the next few weeks, you know, I'll be working on some some standard offseason pieces. I may have a bold calls piece coming out. I'm currently working on a, an underdog best ball values piece. Um, but during the season, I'm going to be all DFS all the time. I'm doing uh, the DFS early look for fantasy points. That'll be out Tuesday morning. So then I'm also doing DFS values for fantasy points, which will be out Friday morning. So yeah, once the season kicks off, I'm going to be pretty much all in on uh, on DFS. And uh, yeah, you can find you can find all my stuff at fantasypoints.com. All right, awesome, awesome, and definitely check out fantasypoints.com. You get great articles from. Guys like Jake, guys like Scott Barrett, uh, tons of some of the best in the industry, all in one spot, rankings, projections. Uh, it's literally a one-stop shop for all your fantasy needs. So definitely check that out. Um, thank you guys for listening, whether it was live or iTunes, Spotify, whatever the case is. Catch me live next week. I'll be with Jeff Lambert on his show, Guesting. Um, probably have uh, some other content sprinkled out throughout the week there. Uh, before getting into the swool, uh, the full swing of things in the NFL upcoming season. So have a great night, everybody, and uh, thank you for listening.